Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Oderico, and joining me is LPJ professional Sydney Miller, and we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network, bringing you some of the best golfers, teacher professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee and let's get started. All right. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside, of course, each and every week is none other than Legends Tour player and LBJ professional Cindy Miller, and we're your hosts here on the Women of Golf. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's uh, <laughs> as well as can, can be uh, expected. We're we're battening down the hatches once again. Um, Hurricane Zeta. That's what it's called now. is is coming up from uh, through Mexico and into the Gulf. So uh, the Gulf Coast up here, uh, right from Florida over to, I guess Texas again, is looking for its seventh hurricane of the season. Uh, doesn't sound like this one's going to be bad. So we're we're battening down the hatches, as I said, Cindy. But other than that, I'm doing great. <laughs> Just well, well, unbelievable. Well. <laughs> well, you know what? Well, All we have in Buffalo is snow. So, yeah. You're welcome to come on up. Yeah, I might listen, I might have to. <laughs> I might have to. I don't know if I can handle any more of these. Uh, you know, we've been very very blessed. I mean, obviously some some folks have have really been hit hard this season, but um it, it's just and, and you know the the crazy thing is, you know, Cindy, is that it's the same area. The last, and this will be, I think, storm number four that's hit the exact same area of coastline. Um, you know, Lake Charles, uh, Biloxi, and New Orleans and that. I mean, I don't know how much more they can take. I mean, I know they're used to getting these storms, but not back to back to back to back like this. So um, certainly our, our thoughts and prayers out to everybody, you know, do what you need to do to, to stay safe. But uh, I'll tell you, I think I'd be moving after storm number two, never mind four. But all right. Anyways, we've got a great show for you this morning. Uh, we're going to be starting things off here. In just a, a quick moment, uh, we're going to enter into the no BS zone once in the, again. We haven't done that in a little while, and we're going to be talking about four tips to improve your short game. And then a little, little bit later on in the show, we're going to be joined by our very special guest, Taylor Babcock, uh, an LPGA uh, teacher professional. And uh, uh, she actually was on a couple of years ago, and uh, we're welcoming her back uh, again. And we're going to talk to her a little bit about what's been happening in her uh, world these days. But let me remind everybody, of course, the Women of Golf is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company uh, providing top quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And, of course, Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top PGA and LPGA teacher professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. So subscribe today. Visit GolfTipsMag.com. Um, Quick note before we uh, head into the no BS zone. Uh, some of you may have noticed uh, that we've done a little update on the Women of Golf show. We've got some new artwork and uh, some new creative, if you will. And uh, we'd be interested in hearing uh, your thoughts on what you think about uh, the new look for the Women of Golf. Uh, we're uh, launching it a little bit earlier. It was originally, I thought, Cindy, that we might wait until 2021. And I thought, you know what, it's been such a depressing year I thought I'd bring some good news uh, out a little bit earlier. So we're launching a little bit earlier. So be interested here. You can reach out to either myself, uh, ted.golftalklive at gmail.com or cindy at cindymillergolf.com. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts on the new look for women of golf. Um, okay, Cindy, so we're going to talk about four tips to help improve your short game for some of the folks out there. And this is an area, and I think you would agree, that many, 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 in fact, most amateurs really fall short, no pun intended. Um, this is an area of golf that they really don't 
pay much attention to or as much as they should. And uh, this is where you're going to really score. This is where you're going to bring your scores down in this area. And there's just a few things that we're going to talk about. Um, so here are four tips that will uh, immediately improve uh, your short game in, in golf. And, uh, and again, no particular order, but uh, the first one here, um, Cindy, is keeping soft hands, uh, particularly when you're chipping. Um, you know, I think, Cindy, a lot of folks end up gripping the club a little bit too tight when they try to chip and they end up stabbing the club, you know, in behind the ball, uh, you know, when they're, when they're practicing their chipping stroke, if you will, and uh, creates a lot of tension in the forearms and so forth. What would you suggest, Cindy, what are some of the tips that you might give to help people kind of keep it relaxed a little bit uh, and, and uh, keep those soft hands? Well, there are a couple, two different shots, and one I would call the elephant trunk, where both arms are kind of mm. stiff, and the ball is back in your stance. If you're right-handed, right is roll, left is loft, and if you're left-handed, right is real high, and left is, um, no, left is loft, and right is run. How am I doing? I haven't had enough coffee yet. But I would tell you that doing elephant trunk with the ball way back in your stance and your arms and your hands really, really tight will help you dig to China. And uh, you will not hit it clean. And it will be chunked, chunk and roll, we call it. And you don't want to do that. So I would be very aware of not being super tight. Yeah, you know, what, you Cindy, what happens a lot of – yeah, I, I agree. I think what happens a lot of times – and it really begins with the hands because that's what's, that's what's gripping the club. You no know, other part of your body touches the club but your hands. And if you've got excessively, you know, a, a firm grip, and I mean firm by that's extremely tight, as I mentioned a, a moment ago, you get a lot of tension in your forearms. And what happens is it, it gets all the way up into your shoulders and your upper body. And what ultimately happens, Cindy, is – you just can't really swing freely. And I know you're not taking a full swing with a chip shot, but if you get too much tension in your upper body, and particularly in your arms and your hands, ultimately what happens is it's not a free-flowing motion. So um, what ends up happening is that the club does not swing. It just sort of, it's like a, a permanent extension of your, of your hands. And ultimately what happens, is you, as I said, it, it kind of sticks in behind the ball and you'll hit it fat or you'll chunk it and you'll come up and either blade the, the shot uh, or, uh, you know, you'll just end up hitting it uh, further than what you want. So you want to be very soft, I think. And it's, it should be a free-flowing, uh, kind of a smooth motion. And again, it begins with the hands. Um, keeping them a little bit softer allows more flexibility. And, uh, you know, just an example, you, you want to release that tension, as I said, in the forearms, for a smoother stroke. And then you want to open your stance uh, and again, using your, your chipping swing uh, and sort of aiming at the back of the ball. So if you practice this technique until it feels sort of second nature to grip the club lightly when chipping towards the green, if you do that, you're going to find that you're going to make better uh, contact with the ball and you're going to get better results. And that's ultimately what you want. And that's from any distance, you know, that whether you're right up uh, sort of in the collar of the green and you're just hitting a little chip, um, just to, to get the ball rolling, um, or if you're a little further off the green and you want to get a maybe a bump and run, which we'll talk about here in a few moments, but um, keep the hands soft. I guarantee you're going to get much better results. Uh, wouldn't you agree, Cindy? Absolutely, absolutely. That was the long-winded. Ver- yeah, that was the long-winded version, by the way, everybody. <laughs> Cindy got to it right to the point. Um, the the other thing. Um, <laughs> you know, Cindy is. Yeah, <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Um, the other one is is uh, to be aware of the left arm. Uh, your left arm controls your chipping stroke. Uh, even though both hands and both arms are involved, the stroke should begin with your left arm uh, and wrist starting the action, rather than pulling with your your right arm and or or pushing a lot of times. So when it's time, let the left arm also control the downswing. The left arm leads both the backswing and the downswing, uh, and keep your eyes glued to a dimple in the center of your ball. Uh, aim for that spot when you connect, uh, connect your club face 
to the ball. So, uh, again, you know, uh, and, and obviously the opposite for left-handed golfers, that would be your right arm. But in this case, uh, we're going to talk about the right-handed golfer. Um, maybe touch a little bit about the importance, Cindy, of, of keeping, uh, you know, being conscious of that left arm. Because I think a lot of people um, end up trying to, especially your right-handed golfers, get too much of the right arm involved at, at the incorrect time and it actually ends up overtaking and a lot of problems happen, especially with impact. What are your thoughts? I don't really agree. Um, oh. I believe Ooh. that the arms should, yeah, swing together. And I believe, like, if you're talking about a chip, a chip flies short and rolls long, and a pitch flies farther and rolls less. So what I would tell you is that um, I believe that the right palm tosses, if you're right-handed, the right palm is tossing underhanded towards the target. Now, I don't want you to be flippy and make it go left Mm -hmm. of the world, but I believe that if the left arm leads too much too soon, you can start shanking. And, Mm -hmm. And what I see is the old man chip yip a lot. And I call it that because a lot of older guys get the chip yip. And the poor guys are freaked out, right? Um, Right. And that's because their left arm is way too tight and it's pulling the grip there first, which makes the face be wide open, which makes the ball go dead right. And then it becomes, you know, mental. So I would say relax both arms and allow right palm to toss under where you want the ball to go. So I would argue with that. Yeah, I think let me let me preface it this way. And I I do agree with you. I think um, what they're you know, what's really trying to be said here um, and, and what I was referring to is you want it obviously a combination of both. You do have to engage obviously both. I think what I'm suggesting to guard against is having too much of the right dominant um, in that stroke. Because again, what happens is even though, and you're right, you you have to have sort of that feel of sort of tossing the ball underhanded with your right hand. What happens a lot of times is golfers sometimes, especially if they're right-handed or right arm dominant is they overtake. And a lot of things can happen that way. If you get too much of the right involved too quickly. So you're right. I think it has to be an equal, sort of an equal balance, um, with both, and I think it's okay to have a little bit of, of you know, your left uh, arm leading a little bit, but you're right. If you do it too much, then you end up pulling the, the, the handle through, as they say, and opening that, that face up too much, and then you get into, as you said, the old, old man yip. So um, definitely don't want to do that. So I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I confess I agree with you. Um, I think that uh, some of the old <laughs> – Hey, that's the first, and this is recorded too, by the way, folks. So you can play it back and hear me say that. Uh, I agree with Cindy Miller. No, that's a great point. You're, you're right. I think if you get too left arm dominant, um, you run the risk of actually not making good square and solid contact. So I would agree with that. Uh, I would say that's probably one that um, needs to have a better, um, a better control with, with both hands. Um, all right. As I mentioned, we were going to talk about the bump and run. Um, this is a shot that you want to really embrace, I think. Um, a lot of times you, you find yourself, Cindy, uh, you know, you've missed the green. You're not that far away. Uh, it's no longer a pitch shot. Um, you want to be able to chip the shot in order to get it. It's maybe a little bit too far off or the lie is not conducive to uh, using your, your putter. Sometimes if you're off the green, you can use your putter. Um, and, a, and a bump and run. And the reason why you'd want to use a bump and run is you want to get the, the ball rolling as soon as possible. Uh, so it's in the air less and on the putting surface more. So a good bump and run. What's your uh, technique, Cindy, do you think, for setting up for a good bump and run? Well, the ball should be back in your stance. So if you're right-handed, it's on your right foot. And... Um... If, that, if you're left-handed, it's on your left foot for low. So right is roll and left is low, depending on whether or not you're right or left-handed. And then the weight, your weight, should be on your front foot, which will make your hands be ahead of the ball 
which will take loft off the shot, which is what you do want to have happen because it's bump and roll. Um, and then I would use a very low lofted club. Uh, depends on how far you want it to fly and how far you want it to roll. So you could use a 789P gap sand. I would never use a lob wedge to bump and roll. Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. You know, there's there's two camps in this. Um, there's some professionals that like to stick with one club. I don't agree with that. I think the circumstances dictate um, the lie, of course. I think it's it's good to, to have different options. Like you said, it can be as little as a 7-iron. I've even seen in some cases, especially with some of these ginormous greens that you see at some of the resort courses, I've even seen people pull out a 6-iron um, and, and hit a bump and run just because they want to get it running quickly. It's a little bit too far. They don't want to putt it, or maybe they've got a, they're in the, the fringe a little bit or in uh, the first uh, you know, cut of rough a little bit, and it's a little bit gnarly, and they don't think they're going to make good contact with their putter. Um, but it's a long way to the hole. So uh, I've seen some use their six iron. So really, um, just to sort of sum it up, uh, the bump and run is, is really, a, I think, a very powerful shot. Uh, you want to use the ground as your friend, in other words. So you want, uh, in a case where you have to shoot over obstacles, and I'm talking small obstacles, uh, obviously you're not going to do this over a bunker, um, or over, overcome a bad lie with a full bump and run that rolls across the green with ease. So aim for a spot before the hole and let your ball hit that spot, then roll towards the hole on the green. So when swinging, position, as Cindy mentioned, position the ball uh, toward the back in your stance. Uh, be sure of your angles, the speed of the green, and your club selection. That's where that comes in. And again, if, if you've got a, a greater distance that it needs to roll, then you might want to use your 7, 8, or 9. If it's a shorter, in other words, if the flag is cut closer to you, then you might want to use your 9 or even your, uh, your pitching wedge, um, and sometimes even maybe a sandwich. I agree, I, I wouldn't use a lob wedge. But um, so you want to sort of see things in your mind's eye and you want to pick a spot uh, and you don't want to pick a spot. Unlike a pitch shot where you're pitching at a greater distance and it's rolling a little or running a little bit shorter, here you're going to pitch it uh, or chip it shorter and it's going to run a little bit longer. So you want to pick a spot uh, as soon as possible on the green that's going to get the ball rolling to where you want it to end up. Um, And understand, again, if the green is, is undulated, you want to make sure that you're going to pick a spot and, and read the line uh, before you do that. Otherwise, you're going to end up uh, you know, in left field, as they say. So um, I agree with everything you said. I think it's a great idea. Pick the club, put the ball back in your stance, and just a nice, simple stroke, and make sure you pick a target before the, the uh, ultimate target to land the ball on. Um, some great, uh, great advice there, Cindy. Thank you. Um, you and know what, I one. just have to say one yep. more thing. Yep. I just have to say one. Make yep. sure that you pick a spot where you want it to land because what I see so many people doing yep. is looking at the hole and then they fly it too far yep. and then they're over the green. Right. So I just have to, you know, reiterate that. Yeah, that that's a big one. And I, and I agree. And, and you know what? I think as long as... And it doesn't have to be, you know, we're talking a spot. We're not talking a spot the size of a ball. You can be, you know, you can think of a, you know, imagine it's a, a foot in, in diameter or even two feet. You know, one of the things that we used to do um, years ago, I don't know, some of the pros probably do things differently, is um, now they, they might put a little, a small little chalk or something. But we used to put a towel. You know, we used to lay a small towel uh, out on the green and you had to land it on the towel um, as your spot. And so you want to, you know, you want to pick, yeah, you want to pick a spot um, and get the ball rolling as quickly. But yeah, you're exactly right. Don't be looking at the target uh, in your mind's eye and, and you're not, you're not flying it to that target. You're, you're hitting your intermediary, intermediary target um, just shortly onto the green. So find your target, gauge how far the ball is going to roll uh, and pick your club appropriately and experiment, get out there on the practice uh, you know, your practice facility at your local course and practice that because I guarantee if you master the bump and run, it's going to save you a ton of strokes overall. So make sure you do that. And one of the last ones, um, Cindy, and I know there's plenty others, but these are some that you'd be surprised a lot of people don't think of, and that is uh, your, your swing tempo. Um, in the short game, the last thing you want to do is to rush your swing uh, in, in the short game. Your swing tempo should 
should stay the same for your backswing as well as your downswing. A sort of a one-two count on the way up means a one-two count on the way down. Uh, use different tempos and speeds depending on your shot. Uh, you'll develop different tempos that work best for different shot scenarios in your short game. So find your rhythm and stick with it. And that's the key there is finding your rhythm um, to, to, you know, make things uh, successful. What are your thoughts there, Cindy? Uh, um, do you agree with that or do you see it differently? No, I agree. A tempo is more important than people realize. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. And even if you just say to yourself, tick, talk. No, not mm-hmm. tick, talk. You know, it's tick, talk. Right. Da, dum, da, dum, but, you know. And again, if you played right. an instrument or you were in chorus or you're a dancer, that'll make sense to you. If you have absolutely no music or rhythm, it might be a little more difficult. You might want to count to yourself. But uh, tempo, timing, and rhythm are really, really, really important. Yeah, and and I can't emphasize enough that you want to find your rhythm. This is one of the big things that we see. And, you know, we see a lot of amateurs wanting to emulate, you know, maybe their favorite player. So they'll watch them and they'll say, okay, I'm going to do it like that. But maybe that particular player has a a different body rhythm than you do. Maybe they are a little quicker in their pace. Um, You know, they might even walk a little quicker, maybe a little bit slower. And if you try to get out of your natural body rhythm – then ultimately what ends up happening is you essentially get out of your own comfort zone. And that's a, that's a recipe I think for success or uh, for failure right there and not success. Um, So one way to do that. And again, we can't emphasize enough is you need to get out and you need to practice. And these are things what's really great is you don't necessarily have to go to the golf course. If you've got a backyard and you keep your grass fairly short, these are things that you can kind of you can work on your rhythm. You can even do it in the house. You don't even have to use a golf ball. You can just pick up a club and you can just kind of you know gently uh, uh, stroke it back and forth and just kind of feel your rhythm and just if it feels natural. If you feel um, you know it, especially if you take a little bigger swing, if you feel yourself kind of wobbling a little bit or out of balance, then that means you're probably swinging a little bit quicker than you need to. So slow it down a little bit. Experiment. Find what your body rhythm suggests. And that's what you want to work with. And, uh, and again, as Cindy said, you know, you want that sort of one, two, you don't want one, two, you know, uh, you don't want to speed it up in the downswing. And that's something that I think amateurs do a lot as well. Right, Cindy? Absolutely. I, I think they get afraid and they anticipate the outcome. And when you do that, you're trying to control where the ball goes rather than deciding on the shot you want to hit, committing to your decision and then producing the shot. So it's really important that you stop for, you know, a second or two longer and say, is this what I want to do? Is this where I want it to go? How do I want it to get there? And then committing to that decision and pulling off the shot. Yeah, I I think, and that's exactly right. I think a lot of players, uh, especially our amateur players, um, because they don't practice enough, they they don't build and develop uh, that that sort of confidence in their shot making. So a lot of times, what happens is when they take that initial backswing, right? You know, subconsciously think, oh, oh, that's too much, or I've snatched it away too quickly, so I've got to slow it down. Or the opposite, I've taken it back, you know, and that's not the right speed. I need to speed it up, and they end up kind of slapping at the ball and and getting drastic results. So uh, again, this is why it's important whether you're you know at home. Uh, or out the golf course to practice um, these types of moves and things like that to to develop what your tempo, uh, what your swing tempo is. Um, otherwise, you're you know you're in a situation where you're you're kind of second guessing yourself all the time, and that's just not going to uh, not going to help you in the long run. Um, so you know whether you're uh, pitching, chipping, or flopping your short game in golf, uh, as I said, practice is your one step to better golf. Um, repetition for muscle memory is the best way for a consistent swing every time uh, your club, play, uh, club face strikes the golf ball. So um, those are just some things. Keep your hands uh, soft for your chipping, uh, really for everything, but for, for chipping particularly. Um, and we're going to change one. I, I still think a little bit, you know, you want to uh, keep that left arm engaged um, and not let the right arm 
overtake too much. But I agree with you, Cindy. I think you do have to. It's a it's a two arm. You're playing golf with both arms, both hands, and um, you need to have them both engaged equally. Um, bump and run is, is another one. Uh, again, go out and master that, and I guarantee you're going to start lowering your scores. And finally, uh, your swing tempo. Um, find out what's what tempo is yours, and that's something that you can work with. You know, Cindy, I, I know that you guys work with your students. Uh, and doing that is sort of finding their tempo. And everyone's different, right? Every one of them's different. Yeah, they are. I mean, some people do things slowly. Some people do things quicker. Uh, you have to find exactly what your tempo and pace are. And once you do, um, everything's going to be easier. Yeah, and, and, and don't try to change that. If, you, if you've got, you know, uh, as I said, if you've got a little slower or quicker, whichever the case is, if that feels natural to you, then don't let anybody try to change that um, because that's going to end up putting you out of balance. You know, you look at some of the players that come to mind, and I know I've said these guys before, but, you know, like an Ernie Els or a Freddie Couples. And then on the other side, you look at somebody like a Nick Price uh, on the men's tours. Um, they were all, you know, Freddie and, and, and um, Ernie Els were kind of a slower, sort of a smoother, uh, you know, a swing tempo where Nick Price was the opposite. And I'm sure the, the same could be said on, on with some of the female golfers out there in the LPGA. Um, there were some that had a quicker tempo and some that had a slower tempo. So, you know, if you're watching these guys and gals out on tour, um, you know, it, it's okay to pick up some pointers here and there, but don't try to adapt somebody else's rhythm if it's not naturally your rhythm, because it's, again, it's just not going to, uh, produce the results that you want. It's going to actually throw you off off kilter a little bit. So um, certainly okay to watch them and to look for, for certain key things that uh, maybe you can adapt, but don't try to change your swing to match somebody's swing that you've seen on TV because more than likely um, that's going to hurt you in the long run. So um, anything else, Cindy, that you can think of um, that we've missed? I can tell you that if you play little games, of which I am creating a games and challenges course. If you're interested, email me at cindy at cindymillergolf.com with scoring that you can do all winter, either inside or out, that it will really help you learn to score because nobody hits all 18 greens all the time. So I would just say, I know it's boring. I know it hurts your back. Just do it. Because if you practice, you will get better. Yeah, no doubt about it. We can't emphasize that enough. Um, you know, that, that in my opinion, is, is probably one of the biggest causes um, of, of scoring badly. Uh, obviously, there's technique issues and things like that that need to be addressed. And that's where, you know, your coach or your instructor comes in. Um, but a lot of it is lack of practice. There's nothing worse than giving a lesson and you've got one set up for two weeks down the road and the person comes back and, you know, how, how was this, you know, working or how did you find this, you know, the drills that I gave you? Well, I didn't get a chance to get out to the range or I didn't get a chance to, you know, really work on that or play again. Uh, and then you end up having to repeat most of last, the last lesson over again in a recap because they didn't follow through with your instruction the first time around. So, you know, we want to help you. We want to improve your game. The short game is obviously an area that can really, really uh, help you to shoot lower scores. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter what we show you, what you teach, uh, what we teach you. If you're not going to go out there and put them into practice and work on some of the things that we're showing you, you're not going to improve. And then you're only going to be upset and, and uh, you know, we're going to bear the brunt of it. So we would rather you go out and work on your game uh, and, and become a better golfer because it certainly helps us in the long run as well. And if you're not prepared to do that, then maybe you need to consider doing something else. And we certainly don't want to shy anybody away from golf. We want to embrace people and welcome. No, but it, it's true. Cindy, let's be honest. I mean, let's be honest. You know, we've had these discussions before. There's nothing worse. You know, it, it, it's like a job. It's like a job. If you're going to go out and, you know, whether it be sales or marketing or what have you, if you're not going to put the time and effort to prepare for that or a presentation, maybe a presentation, um, you know, in front of a client, you know, you're going to go out and you're going to work on those things, I would hope. Otherwise, it's not going to be a very successful uh, presentation. Am I right? Correct. Get out and practice. 
you'll find you're going to be you're going to be better. Otherwise, don't show up. Um, only kidding. All right, we got a great guest coming up uh, joining us now. Let me just tell everybody or remind everybody a little bit about her. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Taylor Babcock. She is an LPJ Class A teacher professional, and uh, a little bit about her is she graduated uh, of uh, Barry University with a bachelor's in sports management and a minor in business. And uh, she's also a U.S. Kids Certified Coach, uh, an NCAA Collegiate Coach, and uh, she's Level 1 TPI Certified, and uh, 2014 USGA Women's uh, Amateur Qualifier, uh, 2014 New England Women's Open Low Amateur, and 2014 Connecticut Women Open Low Amateur as well. So, Cindy, let's welcome our very special guest, Taylor Babcock. Good morning. Good morning. How is everybody? I'm doing great. How about you? We're doing well. I'm uh, currently currently in Virginia on my way uh, on my way down south, uh, making the transition through um, as an assistant pro when you when you go the north south route. Um, coming from Country Club of Fairfield in Fairfield, Connecticut, and going down to Indian Creek Country Club in beautiful Miami, Florida. Oh, you are? I am. Oh, this nice. is Yeah, no, it's great. It'll be my third season at Indian Creek, and um, and I just uh, just finished my first season at Country Club of Fairfield. So it was um, definitely an exciting, definitely an exciting, um, exciting time after uh, after the quarantine lifted and everything. So, but how are, how are you both? We're doing well. Well, I'm mm-hmm. doing well. I don't know about Ted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Physically, I'm doing well. Mentally, I'm not too sure. That's that. That'll be debatable at the end of the show. Um, let me just go real quick. I want to ask and, questions. I, I got to ask. Oh, okay. Questions. I'm sorry. All right, go ahead. All right. So talk to me because I saw that on your bio, and I'm like, oh, she's going to Florida. So when do you start at Indian Creek in Miami? So I'll start on I'll start on Thursday. Um, um, coming from so looking just as a just as a whole looking at I mean there are so many different variables with what's going on today but um, Florida um, doesn't have any quarantine restrictions just social distancing guidelines so um, so I will start on Thursday when I get there um, and then um, and then and then go from there um, for, for now, if you were then, coming back up, you would have to correct. quarantine for two yes. weeks, yeah, because otherwise I'd be visiting um, my granddaughters. No, exactly. Um, so Connecticut, uh, uh, definitely, definitely different states have their um, their their restrictions. Um, so that's that's one of the things that I'll look at with Connecticut and. Um, It'll more than likely when I go up in May, it'll be a two-week quarantine period before I can start. Now, when so. you say I start, what are your responsibilities while you're there? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I, uh, the, my title is assistant golf professional, but um, um, at at Indian Creek, I'm also. Um, I'm the only female teacher on staff, as well as uh, I, I, uh, I run the tournaments for uh, for women's and mixed couples events, which we have. We definitely have um, in a normal calendar calendar year. We have uh, two tournaments a week, which um, which are very well attended. So, yeah. Wow. So it'll um, just on the women's and mixed couples side. Um, the men also have their their weekly um, Thursday events, but. We'll um we'll we'll keep seeing what the uh we'll we'll see what what happens when I get down there. When, um, um but I'm sure I'm sure we'll have um a few of our members stayed down there throughout the summer. Typically um typically the season is about five months and then um they're uh, they're members at other clubs or they have family elsewhere or they have family internationally, so um, so they travel during the summer, but a few, um, a few from what I know did stay around. Um, so it'll be, it'll be really good to see them. It's, it's, uh, it's great membership. And then, um, 
we'll just kind of see what the season brings. I'm not sure what to expect at the moment. Now, let me ask, do you have shop responsibilities or are you just a teacher and you and you produce all the golf tournaments? At Indian Creek Country Club, I do have a bit of shop responsibility, and um, which is which is normal. That's uh, that's spread throughout um, all the assistants um, going from there. So that's that's uh, that's definitely that's definitely part of paying your dues and and learning more about the learning more about the industry and making sure that you know you know how to uh, help and, and run a shop. Our uh, our shop manager, Elsie Formas, she's she's fantastic. She's uh, she's come she's there year round and in coming into her second season at the at the club. So the membership really loves her. It's fantastic. How many members do you have at Indian Creek? Oh, um, you know that's not a number that that I know. They um, they keep that close uh, uh, close. I, I I don't think they want that that public. A lot. Um, maybe somewhere, maybe somewhere around around three hundred. I I definitely could be off. Um, okay, so I it's not play. a huge. Yeah, that, that, that's no, fine. No, I just wanted to know if it was very, very, very exclusive or it was a normal club. That's basically what my question was, because that's oh, no. really okay. participation at its finest. That's great. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, it, it, um, but and, and for and then on the, oh, go ahead. Well, for our listeners' sake, it's also it's good for you to work in the shop so you get to meet the members. Because otherwise, how would Absolutely. they really know if they want to take a lesson from you until they get to know you? Absolutely. Um, even answering the phone and and saying saying hi, how can I help you and. Um, it really is when you're at a club. It really is a, um, or even public facility, really, or or if you even have your own um, academy, um, it is very very personal, and you do you are um, you are in their life on a almost daily basis. That's awesome, Ted. Go ahead. Um, well, Taylor, welcome um, to the show, and. Um, I don't know how much of our earlier conversation you picked up, but I wanted to ask you uh, a question about practice. Um, you know, I, I know that you work with a lot of different students um, since you've been uh, a teacher professional. And I, I really got two parts to the question. The first part, do you find, because I know you work with kids, and I know you also work with, with adults as well. Who do you think is more likely going to practice what you preach, so to speak, the older crowd or the younger ones? Um, well, I'll definitely say that uh, that if you can get the parents to practice, then typically you'll see the kids out. <laughs> so that definitely, um, I mean, pra- practice is, the more you practice, the less you get, bottom line. Right. Um, the more the more experience you get. If you, if you make, if you, Maybe like let's say you finish up your round and you just go to the putting green and you make three four footers. You then have that as your last memory of oh, I made those putts. Okay, then you get this positive reinforcement. And you get the mental imagery. Um, so practice is important, but I would definitely um, on on my side of it just from um, just from uh, COVID and and what's and what happened at. Um, Country Club of Fairfield, we are uh, the membership. You, I mean, you really no one, no one could go on vacation or um, or go see family, and and everybody's at the club, and that's one of the golf became one of the activities early on that was mm-hmm. uh, available and open, and so you would see people book um, book their tea time, come out and practice before. Um, I would say definitely this year more more than most um at this at this club and then uh, um with with other colleagues that I've spoken to of it's it definitely opened up a window of opportunity for people to go 
oh, here's how I get better. Um, it was one of the exciting things to see was um, was really on the women's side. We had 17 uh, at Fairfield. We had 17 women get a gym handicap so that they could start posting scores, which was huge. 17 women signed up for an update. Mm. Some had play golf, some have it hadn't. Uh, but that was that was a big increase, and uh, and in an unfortunate circumstance, that became an outlet. And so, um, those that did start posting scores realized, oh, okay, well, yes, I can play, but I also I also need to take a lesson. I don't understand this, or I need to go work through this for just a moment. Because practice doesn't mean an hour. Sometimes it can mean ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and and you're exactly right. I think this the one positive um, really that's come out of of this whole um, you know issue this season with the pandemic is golf has definitely benefited in many ways, um, not just in, in increase in rounds of, uh, that have been played, um, but it's it's opened up a door for people to practice. I mean, you know, there there's wasn't really a lot of other things to do. I mean, all the most of the movie centers were closed down, so you couldn't even go and see a movie, obviously um, because of social distancing and so forth, uh, and with with a lot of Hollywood shut down, um, there wasn't really any new movies coming out. So uh, there really wasn't a lot to do, and I'm sure um, you probably saw an uptick of families uh, coming out to the golf course as well. So let me ask you, just to stick on the practice side of things a little bit, because um, we all know this um, as teacher professionals that uh, it's hard sometimes to, to, to get our students to, you know, really buckle down and start working on the areas that we need them to work on in order to improve. So what are some things that, that you have found successful for you that maybe you can share um, with not just our listeners, uh, general, you know, golfing li- uh, listeners, but maybe some other professionals that are tuning into the show as well that they could maybe incorporate to make it more fun and interesting for their students to want to go out and practice? So what were some things that you found to make it fun, in other words? Yeah, no, great question. Um, the first part of that is knowing what to practice. I mean, we have we have that mm-hmm. big word of practice, and then we get there and we go, okay, now what? I'm at the range. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and so one of the, one of the things that um, that I like asking for for those who, who want to play and understand what they should work on is, okay, let's track your greens and regulations. So let's start from the green back. Let's, how many putts did you have per round? Um, green, how many greens in regulation? Then from there, fairways in regulation. Um, and then if you, on the on the on the college side of it, it's when you get more in depth. And there's this thing called golf stat, and it really tracks um, your percentage of misses. Like let's say you're hitting into the green. Well, it wants to know if you're if you hit over the green. Um, if you were short, if you were if you missed left or missed right, so you can really get, right. you can really pick apart and get in depth. But as a general, just stairways, greens, cuts, know those, and then start to say, okay, what clubs did I hit in from there? So um, right, right. So just targeting targeting and understanding your game and. Uh, and, and understanding, okay, my nine irons, I seem to be on these short par fours, I seem to be great with, but it's these long irons. I just don't understand why I keep missing to the right or why I'm pulling it left. I just, I can't seem to get this. So um, targeting it that way, I think that that's a great way to start um, for those who do play and and want to understand their game. Um, on, the, on the junior side of things, especially with um, with how many juniors we had home now and not going off to summer camp. Um, in Connecticut, you were allowed to you know, more than groups of four. Um, and so at a time, I'd, I'd have four juniors and um, mask, masks on and and making games out of it. Um, not always a prize game um, because you, you, just, you look at your audience sometimes and some kids get upset, some don't, but um, but definitely definitely making uh, making games out of it. U.S. Kids does a great job with um, with prepping you 
and giving you an outline on some of those. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Let me ask one, one last question, and I want to kind of shift gears here a little bit and, and kind of open up the uh, the floor um, for those that maybe are interested in, in trying out for uh, collegiate golf. Um, what would be the first step um, in seeking out a college golf team, in your opinion? Well, Ping, um, I've I've been out of I've been out of the the college recruiting side for probably about three, three, four years now. Um, but Ping College Golf uh, Guide does a great job at giving you stats on on the team, where you might fit into the team based on your scores. Um, that's a great guide just to kind of sift through a lot of data. But it's really, it comes down to, are you good enough to play Division One? Have you, have you, are you, um, are you a late bloomer like myself, and and you want to try for Division Two or um, or Division Three, where it's heavily academics and yet you still get to thrive on the competition. Um, you have to figure out what what you want out of a college first, and then go right. into the process. Um, because different, uh, definitely, definitely the more competitive um, and the more age. Um, AJGA or these big junior tours, um, the more you play those, the more you're then going to be seen and probably end up playing Division One at a higher level um, than those who just play at the state level, which would be like the Connecticut State Golf Association or the Florida State Golf Association. Each state has their own association. Um, and those tournaments mean a lot, but but these these junior tours where um, where where parents are definitely they're going the extra mile and, and and paying a lot of money to do this in order to prep their kids for for school. So um, so it just depends on on financially where you are, what you can what you can do, and there's nothing wrong with either. Um, and going on going to Ping College Golf Guide. And then also just being proactive, um, reaching out to a coach, but not just sending an email. Because kind of like, um, kind of like these these uh, like like LinkedIn, for example, if you send a resume, well, it's just going to get filtered, and you need to right. you need to have some sort of connection. Um, and that's learning to call and and being comfortable talking on a phone and introducing yourself and and what would you offer to the program? What what makes you interested in that coach? that school. So you have to have um, somewhat of an emotional tie or, or want to play or, or be there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you have to, um, I just want to make one final point and then Cindy, I'll pass it back to you. I think you have to be willing to, you know, step out of the box, so to speak, and reach, um, reach out to the coaches, as, as you said, um, and, and be engaging. You know, I think the worst thing you can do is is just fire off a resume, or you know, and that's it works with jobs as well. Is it just gets put into the pile, and um, you know, there are a lot right. of these, uh, not just in golf, but in, in 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 regular business as well. You know, they're sometimes dealing with fifteen hundred or more um, job applicants. So you know, yours isn't necessarily going to stand out, but if they put a face to, you know, to the paper and, and, you know, you get a chance to engage them and find out what it is specifically they're looking for. And obviously that's going to happen with the, uh, you know, with the, the golf teams as well. So um, that's, a, it, that's a great point. point. You want... it, 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 it is intimidating as, I mean, we're talking about a, a sure. college golf. We're talking about a, a, a freshman in high school or, or sophomore, junior. And, um, and it's nice to have your parents help you with the introduction. There's nothing wrong with that. But at some point, you have to take over the conversation because that's what the coach wants. They're not recruiting the parents. Yes, the parents are definitely part of it. Um, and the coach would love to have a relationship with them as well. But their number one priority is you. And so they want to get to know you, not what your parents' goals are. But they want to know what really 
What inspires you to play? What inspires you to want to be there? What motivates you? So Right, um, exactly. So being being able to step up and step into the arena. That's a huge huge part of it. Yeah, and it's not easy for some, I'm sure. You know, everybody's different, but um all right, Cindy, uh, yeah. um, go ahead back yeah, back to you, Cindy, go ahead. Can you tell let's say there's some young players, junior players on the call who want to play college golf and they might be a freshman in high school, maybe a sophomore, and they play in some HJGT tournaments and they might be shooting 82 to 88 and they want to play on a D1 team, how do would you tell them to close the gap um, and, it, again, we have a saying in our household, let your clubs do the talking, and what did you shoot? So how would you say that in a nice way? Um, again, they might look at somebody and say, well, they're three, four, and five, and six player are shooting the same scores as me. I mean, we have to nicely say to them, well, the coach isn't looking for a new three, four, or five player. So can you help me? With that, yeah, no, um, it it is interesting. I I would say in on a general scale, um, college coaches know that your first semester you're you're more than likely going to shoot five strokes higher than what your high school average is. You're playing longer distances now, so even though you're you feel like your score is like let's say you average seventy seven, and you see that oh well that sophomore is averaging seventy seven, that's a different scale. So it's not it's not scaled in uh, on the same level. Um, definitely, I like the example that you gave, where it's where it's um, a, a junior player um, focusing on AJGA events and shooting mid to high 80s. Well, I would say take a step back, go back to the state level, try and place better at those, make it worth those trips for if you can get into the AJGA events. You don't want to go somewhere and just shoot a mediocre round. Um, part of it is learning to win and when you gain that confidence. Um, and I'm sure you've definitely in, in your career, Cindy, I'm sure you've, you've felt that of when you when you break into a top 10 or you win an event, it's, um, it's a different level of confidence that you go into. And so... Um, I I would definitely say win, and it's not that it's lower tier. Just win at win at a at a certain level, or place in a top ten, and then give yourself that credit to go try and break into the next level. Use each as a stepping stone, um, but don't just keep putting yourself in the arena where you're just going to be shooting these eighty. Mid eighty rounds, and maybe that's maybe if, if if that's how you're playing, that's good for you, and that's perfect if if you want to. Um, depending on the school's average or what the coach is looking for, so not that not that I want to knock an eighty. But granted, it's not the division one score, but maybe it's good enough for another school. But just seeing where where you are and and what level. Um, what level you should be looking at. If it's the state, maybe it's, maybe it's even just high school, then it's going into a, um, a state, state-run golf association, and then playing different junior tours. Totally agree. Totally agree. Again, the other, the other side of this is I want them to not look at it as failure, but look at it as learning. You know, right. what were you thinking when you were out there? Were you, you know, you kept missing fairways and missing greens. Were you afraid of the shot? You know, it's okay. And then until you look in the mirror to figure out what caused the poor swing, we're not going to fix it. And and it's all right. about yeah. learning. It's all about learning. So I tell them to embrace it um, instead of, oh, God, nobody's going to want me. Well, nobody's going to want you any other Place either until you learn these lessons, and it's something that we all have to go through. No one's exempt. No, 
you know, I'll give you um I'll give you an anecdotal story. Um, uh, in in my junior career, I wasn't the I wasn't the uh, the prodigy or or um I really had a ton of wins under my belt. Um, but my senior year in at in for the Oregon State um, uh, high school championships, um, I placed in the top ten. That was my biggest goal. Did that, and then I get to college and I realize that I'm not a top ten player. I'm bare. I'm I made the travel team once my freshman year, and so I developed this this chip on my shoulder of um, I'm in a new place. I don't um, I don't quite understand it. Why um, why are they better than me? And so I just let this weight and this gravity just put me down and put me down. And my attitude started to affect not um, other players and other coaches, just the coaches. Um, I'm typically this warm, this warm, uh, energetic person. And I just was, I just was getting into digging myself into a hole. And I had the coach look at me at the end of the season. She said, Taylor, if you don't pick up your attitude, your scholarship will be in jeopardy for the next season. And that clicked. That clicked of going, oh, this isn't just about me. This is about the team. This is how am I going to, how do I need to improve my my attitude and outlook so that not only do I play better, but I also make those who are around me want to be around me. So it's um, so it's definitely it's definitely attitude and outlook. So as you mentioned, so it's going going in that direction. Wow, good for you for turning it around. Yeah, and that's a great point too, Taylor, to make because. You know, golf predominantly, you know, is, uh, you know, is a, an individual sport, as we know. Um, but now you're in the presence of teammates and they're counting on you certainly to do your best, but to be part of the team. And, you know, if you're going out there and it's all about me, um, you know, not everybody can pull it off. And now you, you've got others to consider. And, and that was, a, you know, that was. Some, some great words and that was your moment that your you know coach stepped up and said to you hey Taylor you, you know you need to sort of proverbially get in the game in a manner of speaking uh, otherwise you know there's going to be consequences and that was uh, I'm, I'm sure as you pointed out a defining moment in, in your career it definitely was um, it was either um, I, I was lucky enough to to get a 50% academic and and 50% athletic scholarship. So um, for out-of-state tuition, which was somewhere around 50000 at the at the time yeah. in 2009, 2010. And there was that really, that really set in. So, um, so it is. It, it, it's definitely, it's, I mean, playing is definitely about, it's not just, it's not just, um, not just about collegiate team or, um, or being at a country club, but your your attitude and your outlook very much yep. determine how you're gonna how you're gonna play. If you're if if you show if, if you show up and you, you mm-hmm. think, oh man, this is just not my day. Maybe you've spilled the coffee on the way over. Maybe something else has happened. <laughs> um, but but every everything is, is as I've come to find is definitely your attitude and outlook. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, Taylor, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time, but we want to thank you for um, joining us this morning here on the Women of Golf Show, and we want to uh, wish you a successful second half of the season down at Indian Creek Country Club in Miami. And for those of you um, that are in the Miami area and you want to uh, reach out, uh, you can get in touch with Taylor. You're going to be starting, you said, Thursday uh, at, at the club? Yep, on Thursday. All right, well... Good luck this uh, season in Miami and help lots of golfers out there and have a lot of fun. And again, thank you for joining Cindy and I this morning on the Women of Golf. We really appreciate you spending time. Well, I really appreciate you both. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Have a great season. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. That was special guest, uh, 
Taylor Babcock, and as she mentioned, she's on her way down to Indian Creek Country Club in Miami, so you can check her out there um, and uh, get in touch and, and take a lesson or visit her in the pro shop when she's there. Um, all right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us this morning. Cindy, as always, it's a pleasure. Uh, don't be too cold up. Feel free to come down to Florida after the storm blows past this week and, uh, and uh, enjoy some nice weather down here. On that note, God bless everybody. Have a great week. And on behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Odorico. Thanks for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Bye-bye. Cindy. Thanks for listening this morning to the Women of Golf Show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. If you can't join us live, check out our on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. To get updates for future shows and upcoming guests, you can follow us on Facebook at Women of Golf. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO and Cindy at Cindy Miller Golf. Please remember to join us next week on the Women of Golf Show. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.